Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing. Member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com disclosures slash high-yield account. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. What's the state of corporate governance? The deficit is a real issue. The U.S. economy continues to send mixed signals. The financial stories that shape our world. Fed action to calm concerns over dollar liquidity. Some encouraging China data. The 500 wealthiest people in the world. Through the eyes of the most influential voices. Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary. Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson. SEC Chairman Jay Clayton. Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. Governments fight the coronavirus. Markets react, sometimes violently. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston. Welcome back. Home delivery has gone from something of a luxury to a true necessity. And an important part of the backbone of that home delivery system is UPS. We talked with chairman and CEO of UPS, David Abney, about how this crisis has changed his business and the entire U.S. economy. And what I'll say industry-wide, so from a whole macroeconomic uh, standpoint, is uh, obviously a lot more health care, PPE, and, uh, and critical segments like that. And, uh, and I think you're seeing that all across the industry. And with businesses being closed and with uh, people sheltering in place, you see more e-commerce, or more residential deliveries uh, across the industry, too. So that would be the, the two biggest things. And the, the good thing about our flexible uh, global logistics network is it allows us to flex to meet the needs of our of governments or meet the needs of our, uh, of our customers. So it's interesting times, that's for sure, David. Yeah, that's, that's for sure for all of us, David. Let me pick up on what you just talked about, that flexible logistics, because you really have pushed hard on automation and bringing the computer, the digital age, into your delivery system. Is this experience going to expedite that? Is that going to drive it even farther and faster than you were doing already? Well, one, it makes us very thankful that we have, uh, have invested in the automation and invested in our, our transformation initiatives, which were all focused about speed and focused about agility, and, uh, and, of course, with the situations we're facing now, that just stresses the importance. 
But even when this crisis is over, we're just living in a year of uh, in a time of great change. So we think we will continue to build upon that. So it's just more important now than ever, and I don't think that see that diminishing once we get through this crisis. On your business, uh, give us a sense of what's going on with business to business as opposed to business to consumer. I'm assuming business to business is off somewhat. Business to consumer probably is up somewhat. Goodness knows that's our experience here up in Westchester. But does that affect your margins? Because I believe you have a higher margin, particularly in the small and medium-sized companies in the B2B as opposed to the B2C. And, David, that is uh, because we have our earnings call coming up uh, next week. I will be talking more in uh, detail along those lines then. What I can tell you now, though, is from a macroeconomic or industry perspective, and that is that, uh, yeah, with closures, there's less B2B, and with, uh, with stay-at-home, there's there's more B2C. But I'll have more information to share about that when I get to the earnings call. Yeah, fair enough. I don't want to get you in trouble with the SEC, David, whatever we do here. The final question on Neither this particularly is, does your experience thus far, <laughs> thus far your, your experience with the UPS, does it tell you anything that would really be helpful to us about restarting the economy? What you've seen shut down, what you think might come back? I do think we can uh, add a lot to, to that story. And uh, I'm uh, proud to be a part of the Great American Economic Revival Group, one of them that, uh, that the president is leading. And the thing that we have to offer is that uh, since we have been declared a critical infrastructure business, we've been operating uh, through the heroic efforts of our uh, UPS drivers and loaders and pilots and mechanics throughout this crisis. And so we have learned a lot. And uh, one of the things that uh, I will be sharing with uh, other businesses that have had to close down is what we have learned, what we see works, and uh, and what we would recommend they do and uh, and not do. So I do believe that we would uh, add a lot of value to that discussion. David, talk about those employees. What are you doing for them to try to keep them as safe as possible? What extraordinary links are you going to? Okay, certainly. Well, in fact, my favorite subject is talking about our employees, especially right now. They're just an amazing a group of people that realize that we're a critical business and they have stepped up to the plate like I haven't seen. In fact, David, we have record service levels now and I can go back 46 years, so I can't speak for the company history, but I can speak for a good portion of it. And uh, But the first thing is all about the safety. We have to, if we want to be a critical business, and if we believe we've got to move uh, health care supplies and stuff around the world, then we have to take care of our people. And, uh, and things like, uh, and these are some just real important things, emergency paid leave that was outside of our union contracts that we agreed to to let our people know you don't need to come to work sick, that if you are feeling any problems, we can uh, give you the paid leave. And... Uh, enhanced cleaning of our buildings and our package cars and everything that people touch. Uh, of course, following CDC guidelines and sanitizing uh, supplies and masks. But one that was really important, you may have noticed it if we delivered to your house, is uh, no longer drivers having to require signatures. And uh, so that means this uh, diet board, this yeah. computer is not being passed from hand to hand. And we have learned how to make uh, non-contact deliveries. Yeah. 
And, uh, and those are things that have made the job uh, much, much safer and is allowing us to continue to function, but it's due to the amazing efforts of our yeah. people. That was David Abney, CEO of UPS. Coming up, Congress moves forward on another $484 billion spending package to help the economy. But is it enough? We asked the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. Congress this week took what was already an unprecedented level of support for the U.S. economy and upped it by another $500 billion. We asked Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi whether there was more on the way, despite the fact that the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, says they've already done enough. Well, I was placed in three phases. First, emergency, and that's what we did in the first few bills that we passed in March in a strong bipartisan way. We started with testing, testing, testing on March 5th. Here we are a month and a half later, and the administration has still not fully implemented it. After this bill, hopefully they will. Uh, uh, so, so that was part of recovery. And then we went into mitigation to mitigate for the damage to the economy with these initiatives to protect our small businesses, uh, to provide more assistance in terms of health care and the rest. And now we have to go further into mitigation, unfortunately, to help state and local. Now, state and local means this. It means the health care worker, the police and fire, the first responders, uh, the emergency services people, the, uh, the teachers in our schools, the transportation workers who get vital uh, essential workers to work. Uh, again, it's about the people. And these people are risking their lives to help save other lives and now they're losing their jobs. So it's very essential that for our heroes, I call it our Heroes Act, that we have this assistance to state, county, local government, and to do so in a very significant way, to recognize the lost revenue that they have uh, from lack of a, a, a stream of revenue because of the economy, and secondly, the outlays that they make in order to address the coronavirus. Take us through your strategy in agreeing to this approach, leaving out state and local. You did get, as you said, hospitals, you got testing in and protection for some of the smallest companies. But did you run the risk, perhaps, of not getting the state and local assistance, certainly anytime soon? Because now we have Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, saying he thinks he's maybe sort of done, he's cautious going forward. Even Steven Mnuchin, your partner in negotiating a lot of this, is saying he's not sure we need a lot more. Are you concerned we won't be able to get the state and local anytime soon? Well, first of all, let me remind you, this is the same Mitch McConnell who said on the floor of the Senate, there's no way we're going to do anything but the 250, and now we're up to 480 that the Democrats were able to add for smaller businesses and for the health and well-being of the American people. So that's an interesting statement, but it isn't the fact. This is an interim bill. We didn't expect to have an interim bill, except after the secretary's call. So we went from CARES 1, and then we're going to go into CARES 2. And CARES 2 would have been about state and local. So we got everything we asked for on the floor of the Senate and more uh, two weeks ago. They should have agreed then instead of holding it up to what they agreed to. But in terms of state and local, the president himself has even said, uh, and he tweeted out, uh, that he's ready to do state and local, that he knows there has to be another bill. And there are other measures that are needed to, uh, to be addressed in that legislation as well. It's going to be a major package. It's going to address, again, 
uh, the uh, the needs of the states and localities, because that's where much of the healthcare delivery is in public hospitals and the rest, as well as a testing and uh, that is in our bill that, that will be dispersed in some of it uh, to many of the states out there, some of the money for testing, and also the lost revenue. This is a very important point. Uh, the lost revenue is something that we really we will have addressed in this next care package uh, to recognize that piece of it and that it has to be compensated for and funds used, uh, given to the states can be used uh, for that because it is all coronavirus related and everything we do is about coronavirus related. So it is uh, with great optimism that we go forward with this. We've, we're well down the path uh, to do it. Uh, it was never intended to be an interim bill because we didn't know an interim bill would exist. But we use the interim bill to make the argument uh, that this needed to be done as soon as possible, and it will. This needs to go for coronavirus, and specifically for need. How do we make sure that these funds, massive funds, are not distributed with any political reason involved? Because with the PPP, there was some suggestion more funds were going to some of the states that tend to vote Republicans. Are you confident this is going where it needs to go rather than where it might be politically exigent to go? Oh, of course not. But anyway, I think the, uh, the public display of it, as Abraham Lincoln said, public sentiment is everything. With it, you can accomplish almost everything. Without it, practically nothing. But I might add to that that I do think that it's not too soon and should have been done even earlier. We have to get ready for what comes next. How do we open up government? How do we do so in a way that does not contribute uh, to a return of the virus? And if we have, a, God willing, a vaccine soon, how is that distributed? Not in a political way, uh, but in a way that meets the needs of the American people. That would be sinful. Uh, but it is a, a challenge, and proper preparation prevents poor performance. That's what the Boy Scouts say. I wish the president would act like a Boy Scout in that regard and be thinking ahead, uh, not just, uh, and I'm prepared not to look back to some of his statements, but he cannot continue to misrepresent the facts to the American people and expect us to, uh, to accept the deaths that go with that. Okay, Madam Speaker, final question. Looking forward the way you say we need to be doing seems exactly right. What do you look forward to in terms of an election in November? Do you have any sense of what that may look at like, as you say, to make sure that people are safe, uh, but they do get to express their views at the polls? We want to be able to have people vote by mail. This, at this, especially at a time of concern about health issues, uh, it's better for them to vote by mail, to get their ballot sent to them at home, to have same-day registration for those who do want to go to the polls, but to have the, uh, the demand on poll watchers and the rest be much, much less. Uh, so we will be uh, seeking additional funds. We had $400 million in the first CARES Act. We need much more than that now uh, so that we can guarantee uh, the integrity of our elections. So we're talking about the lives of the American people, the livelihood of our economy, their livelihood and the strength of our economy, and uh, the integrity of our elections, the life of our democracy. Uh, this is very, very important. Now, more than ever, more important to be able to vote by mail. That was Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Coming up on Wall Street Week, City Global Chief Economist Catherine Mann on whether equities are counting too much on government help. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg.
Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing. Member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. Economic numbers continue to deteriorate, and yet it doesn't look like we're at the bottom yet. Despite all that, the S&P 500 is down only about 4% off of its peak, raising the question whether the equity markets are really underestimating the downside risk or maybe are fully estimating what governments are willing to do to save the economy. That's something we asked Catherine Mann, chief global economist for City, about. We can definitely see that uh, if we go back a little bit of it, uh, a couple of months or a month or so, the the markets were were in free fall. The markets were absolutely in free fall until the Fed came in with its program, not the rate cuts that didn't help, but with the with the first round of alphabets uh, of backing, and then the market still were you know on the bottom until the the fiscal authorities came in with their huge program. So it's no question that the equity markets are responding to the combination, the double-barreled Fed and monetary policy on uh, fiscal policy. On the other hand, you know it's also the case that when we look at where they bounced back to, we sort of say, okay, they bounced back to where they were in the middle of 2019 maybe not to the highs of uh, the beginning of 2020, middle of 2019, where do we think the economy is going to be in 12 months? Are they looking forward to that? Because if they're looking forward to that, they shouldn't be where they are now. And Catherine, one very interesting point that you've made is this. Everybody talks about, is it a V, is it a W, is it an L, is it a U, things like that. Your point, I believe, is... It depends on where you look, and specifically at what sector. It may be a different letter for different sectors. Yeah. So uh, a couple things. First, yeah, different letters for different sectors, uh, and it's also different uh, letters depending on what your time horizon is. So let's talk about the sectors first. Something like a manufacturing, much more like a V-shape, because, you know, when the factory is shut down, you run down the inventories. When you have to ramp up, you have to ramp up production to make uh back up your inventories, maybe not as much. We are tempering the Vs a little bit because uh, the supply chain continuity matters. Uh, Your factory may be open, but the next factory uh, on the supply chain may be closed. So, you know, you've got some tempering of the V-shape in manufacturing through uh, that relationship uh, and the fact that the whole world is not opening up at the same time because the virus didn't arrive at the same time. 
The other set of sectors, though, for example, are ones where consumer choice matters. Uh, We call it getting back to play, meaning people are uh, going out to entertainment, restaurants, sporting events, travel, tourism. Of course, people in those sectors who are, they are the workers in those sectors, they're the employed people, but it matters whether or not there is uh, consumer demand for those unstructured activities, things that you do by choice. Nobody's forcing you to go take a cruise. Uh, And so until that really gets back, uh, those sectors, the workers associated with those sectors, and therefore the economy as a whole, is going to have a drag. It's going to be L-shaped for them. And so you get these very different shapes depending on the sector. You add it all up to an economy And, you know, some of them are a little bit more V-shaped because there's a little bit more manufacturing, a little more tech maybe, uh, and then other economies that might be uh, South Korea or uh, Taiwan. And then there are other economies that are extremely tourism-dependent. Those are facing L's, uh, something like Thailand, Singapore, UK. These are are economies very dependent on consumer choice sectors. The other perspective, though, that I think is important to uh, remember is depending on what is your time horizon as an investor, if you are a very kind of a near-term, short-term time horizon, you're going to see these these just amazingly collapsing economies on a uh, quarterly, quarter-to-quarter basis. So into the second quarter for advanced economies for most of the emerging world, except for Asia which is being changed uh, by China, tremendous deterioration. But then huge rebounds in Q3 different for different parts of the world. So you can there's a lot of arbitrage in there from quarter to quarter. On the other hand, uh, if you're kind of a long-term investor, if you're a long-term investor, wh- you ask the question, when does the economy get back to the peak of economic activity as measured by, say, January 2020. How long does it take? Probably takes 12 to 18 months. It means for the economy as a whole, things are bad until you get to 20, uh, 2021, midway to 2021. So what does that mean to you as a corporation if I told you your revenues weren't going to be back to their peak for 18 months? You know, that's a pretty tough thing to be thinking about if you're a corporation. So they have what they need uh, to do uh, uh, going forward. Um, whether they're going to come up with more programs, uh, I, I doubt it at this point. Uh, I think they've got enough programs. They need to do the implementation. That was Catherine Mann of City Global Markets. Coming up on Wall Street Week, he's been a leader in Washington and on Wall Street. Ralph Schlossstein of Evercore on how the world of investment and corporate deals has changed fundamentally in the time of the coronavirus. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. In the pre-COVID world, investors would look at things like how the economy is doing overall, which sectors are most likely to grow, and which companies are most likely to take advantage of that growth. But now, with governments pumping trillions of dollars into the economy, the rules have changed. Something we asked Ralph Schlossstein, head of Evercore, about. Well, I think, uh, first of all, uh, I think the, the damage is so unprecedented. Uh, as I think someone pointed out earlier, there have been 26 million uh, unemployment claims in the last 
five weeks. Uh, the highest that we ever had, even in the Great Recession, uh, was 700,000 in one week. So literally, this is uh, almost 10 times what we would have had if we had taken the, the, the five highest weeks uh, recorded in history. So the, the depth and the rapidity of this recession uh, is staggering. Uh, at the same time, you have uh, equally unprecedented uh, reactions on the part of both uh, the fiscal authorities globally and certainly here in the United States uh, and central banks, uh, the monetary policy, uh, and particularly our Fed. Uh, so what the, the, what the market is really struggling with is, on the one hand, massive and unprecedented and rapid destruction uh, in the economy, the real economy, which is going to affect corporate earnings, and on the other hand, uh, trying to look through that and seeing, you know, two and a half trillion dollars of fiscal stimulus with the three stimulus uh, proposals or laws, uh, and uh, that is also three times the stimulus that we had uh, in the Great Recession. And the monetary stimulus, uh, you know, the Fed started out buying $100 billion of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities a day, the most that they ever bought in a month uh, during the Great Recession was $100 billion. So in one day, they're doing what they did in one month uh, during the Great Recession. And so, you know, ultimately, the fiscal policy and the monetary policy will uh, mitigate the, the depth of the downturn and it will uh, precipitate a recovery. Uh, but we really just don't know how long that's going to take. How long it's going to take, Ralph, but also how much of a recovery? I mean, there's lots of talks about V's and W's and J's and U's and things like that. Do you think a year, two years from now, we'll be close to where we were a year ago? Uh, I think it's highly unlikely uh, that the, the uh, ramp upward will be have the same slope as the ramp downward. And that's because, as I said, uh, you know, we're, we're dropping off a cliff uh, economically. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, uh, until the uh, economy starts to reopen, uh, these, the stimulus will basically be a, a, a tiding over. It's not really going to provide any uh, uh, stimulus for a recovery. You can't recover when all of, you know, so many of your small businesses are closed and when so many of your factories uh, are closed. So it will hopefully help sustain people who uh, are on unemployment and have lost their jobs, many of whom don't have uh, much money uh, to tide them from one week uh, to the next. Uh, but in terms uh, of getting the economy going again, uh, I'm confident that our recovery will be dramatically slower uh, than uh, the recession, the falling in the recession. 
We're talking with Ralph Schlossstein, the head of Evercore. Uh, so in the meantime, even as this all unfolds around us, we have investors who are trying to make de investment decisions. We have CEOs that you advise regularly trying to make their decisions about where their company goes. In this new world, do you have to take into account what the government, whether it's fiscal or monetary, is likely to do even more than what the economy or an individual company is going to do? Well, fiscal and monetary policy are an incredibly important input uh, at this point in time. Uh, they're an important input for some companies uh, uh, in terms of survival. Uh, do they have the access to cash to uh, maintain uh, their operations and to, to stay out of uh, bankruptcy? Uh, and they're also important for companies who are in a stronger position uh, but who rely on the aggregate level of demand uh, and we have, a, we have an economy which is 70% driven by the consumer. Uh, so uh, without a growing economy and a strong consumer, uh, even companies that are not as materially affected by uh, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, still have to uh, look very carefully at economic policy and monetary policy. Let's talk about your business a bit, Ralph. I mean, you had your earnings statement recently, and you already had done some retrenching for some softness in the marketplace. How is this going to affect Evercore? Well, the, you know, our biggest business is uh, M&A, and uh, M&A uh, relies basically on, you know, a number of conditions to, be, uh, to behave normally. Uh, it relies on a uh, reasonably stable and well-valued stock market. It, it relies on high availability of credit. It relies on a reasonable uh, judgment or sense of where the economy is going, uh, and it relies on uh, CEO confidence. Uh, the last three are not present right now. Uh, there's not readily available credit. Uh, we have no idea uh, how the economy is going to evolve over the next 6 to 12 months. And as a consequence, CEO confidence is low. So our largest business, M&A, uh, is clearly going to be quite negatively uh, affected. Uh, the good news for us is that we've invested heavily in uh, businesses that help uh, where we can advise companies on their balance sheets, either in restructuring or advising them on debt or on equity capital raising. And so we're, uh, we're very busy, uh, even though we're spread out among 1,800 offices uh, around the globe. Uh, but, you know, the businesses that I just described aren't big enough uh, for us to offset what will be a, a pretty significant decline in M&A activity for sure. Well, if you look out, if you can, over the next 12, 18 months, do you expect that you will grow much more in things like advising on workouts, in restructurings, in dispositions, which one would think would grow to make up for at least a good part of the M&A? Do you, do you have the opportunity to grow into that part of the business? Yeah, those parts of our business are going more than flat out. And we're actually uh, repurposing some of our bankers to become uh, restructuring bankers and financing bankers uh, because it's the same uh, set of skills uh, in many circumstances. Uh, so no question, uh, those parts of our business are going flat out. They will grow very rapidly over the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, but uh, as I said, uh, they're not 
the same size as our M&A business. So overall, uh, they, it's hard for them to make up for uh, what will be an inevitable decline in, in M&A. But by the way, if we do get a reasonably uh, rapid recovery uh, and, and some uh, settling down, uh, it's quite possible that M&A activity will pick up uh, again, you know, six to nine months uh, from now. It will just require some visibility about the direction of the economy and settling down of markets uh, before that happens. We still have lots of active dialogue with our clients because there are many things that they still want to do. It's just, uh, you know, everybody is reluctant, that old phrase, you don't want to catch a falling knife. Uh, do you expect that there will be as many bankers at Evercore and more broadly in investment banking two years from now as there was, again, one year ago? Uh, I do, actually. Uh, my guess is two or three years from now we'll have uh, more than we have uh, today because we've uh, you know, consistently taken market share. Uh, our business model of uh, independent advice without any conflicts with our clients uh, hugely resonates uh, with uh, both large and you know, uh, small and medium-sized uh, mid-cap companies. So uh, even this last quarter, uh, we once again gained uh, market share in the advisory business. Our advisory revenues were up uh, 10%, and the average of the five large uh, U.S. firms, uh, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, B of A, and Citi, was down 13%. Uh, so we're taking share, uh, and in order to continue to take share, uh, you know, our only uh, input uh, to our revenues is people, uh, and so we will continue to grow. And, and finally, Ralph, what about sectors? Do you see a difference in sectors among the companies you deal with? For example, right now, it seems like telecom is more needed than ever. Uh, online is needed more than ever. Uh, certainly, the tech sector seems to be rising. Do you see, as you deal with your clients, that there's more openness, more confidence, more opportunity there than perhaps in some other more traditional areas, such as manufacturing materials, things like that? Well, there, there, there are going to be a massive number of changes uh, in our, uh, uh, in all, in lots of sectors as a result of this. Uh, number one, we're all learning uh, that uh, we can be highly productive uh, without being all in the same uh, place. That has implications for, uh, you know, center city real estate. It has implications for, in my view, uh, family leave. Uh, uh, policies. That was Ralph Schlossstein of Evercore. That does it for Wall Street Week this week. I'm David Weston. See you next time. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.